Good evening. Good evening. There you are. You can turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 15. We've been talking about David's mighty men. and Last week we were together. We looked at three of the mighty men. We looked at the three mightiest of the mighty men. It gets a little confusing, and I'll try to walk you through it, but there were a number of the threes. There's, there's the three mightiest of the mighty men, which we talked about last week. This evening, we're going to start by recognizing or looking at three of the 30. There were the 30 mightiest men. We'll talk a lot about that this evening. And there were three who were the commanders over those 30. A little different than, let's call, the three mightiest men. But these three we're going to talk about. We're all going to, also going to talk about the 30, or the 30 uh, mighty men, let's call them. And uh, a couple of uh, stories and accounts of what they accomplished as the mighty men of David. And I just want to say that my hope is this evening as we study this, as you'll come away from this, that I will as well, feeling like we can be mighty men and women of God. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We ask in the name of Jesus that you would make us the people that we're called to be, that you would help us to honor you with our lives, to give our whole hearts to you, and to, to, to live in a way that honors you. Lord, not living on our knees, but maybe dying on our feet. Brave and courageous as men and women of faith who stand in you and accomplish great things by your power and your strength. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in verses 15 through 19 of 1 Chronicles chapter 11, we read there that three of the 30 chiefs came down to David to the rock at the cave of Adullam. This was David's hiding spot when he was running from Saul. While a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim, and at that time David was in the stronghold. And the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. You'll remember Bethlehem was David's hometown, the city of David. And David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. God forbid that I should do this, he said. Should I drink the blood of these men who went at risk of their lives because they risked their lives to bring it back? David would not drink it. And such were the exploits of the three mighty men. Before we're even introduced to these men, we're told why they were considered the three mightiest of the 30. Why they were the chiefs of the 30 mighty men. And there's this wonderful heroic story, this account that, that is shared with us. And it, it just goes to show you that these men were warriors. They were mighty, courageous men who served God with great valor. But they served their king, God's anointed David. They were recognized for their incredible bravery. David's hometown of Bethlehem was being occupied at this time by the Philistines. This is shortly after he became king. And David's thirst reminded him of a well that he knew very well near the town gate that was now in enemy hands. And he just sort of said, you know, wasn't actually asking his men to do this. He wasn't ordering anyone to do this. But he was thinking, 
I would love to have a drink of water from that well. He was simply longing to defeat the Philistines and gain access to the well. He's really thinking more about the victory than the water from the well. And these men, they see an opportunity to do something heroic and valiant, and they do. You could just see that these men were sort of looking for an opportunity to be victorious. Rather than running in cowardly ways, than turning their backs and running the other way, they ran toward the battle we always hold and have held in high esteem, first responders, EMTs and firemen and police officers who run into danger to protect others, our military, people who aren't afraid of a fight if a fight must be fought. These men ran toward the battle. They were just looking for an excuse to go into the city and take on the Philistines. And David just said something in passing which made them all think, well, you know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. I love this. These men broke through the Philistine lines and they brought David water from this well. And I think it was just a challenge. Maybe to them it was a dare. Can we do this? Can we break through the Philistine lines? Can we take on the enemy and get this water and bring it back to show David what we're capable of, not just to please David, but to please God? Can we do that and to be an example to the men? Well, they did. And David, realizing that they had done this thing, honored their heroic act of devotion by refusing to drink the water. And in, in so doing, he was sort of acknowledging, I'm not, I'm not worthy of, the, of this sacrifice. You did this for God. Let it be to God that you did your act, not toward me. And oh, that more of our leaders would, rather than receive the glory, give the glory to God. Well, this was just one example of the exploits of these three mighty men. But we're introduced to one of them in verses 20 through 21. Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed. So he became as famous as the three. Now we're back to the three we talked about last week. Let's call them again the three mightiest men. He was doubly honored above the three and became their commander, even though he was not included among them. So because of his heroism, he, he was put in charge of the three mightiest men, but he wasn't one of them. He was given a position as a general to command these men. Now, this is David's nephew, Joab's brother. For, da- for Joab was David's nephew. And he's the chief of the three, and his name means generous. <clears throat> and the thing is, you see in the heart of this man, a desire to be used of God, a willingness to go out there and take on the enemy and achieve great things. You know, no great thing was ever achieved by a man or a woman of God who was afraid. Can I say that? Never happened. How many times does God have to say, fear not? For I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear is not going to get the job done. Courage will, courage in Christ, power of the Spirit in your life. And I just love his example. He was as famous as the three, but he killed 300 men in one encounter. This is a mighty man. And by the way, this reminds me of of an account in the book of Judges, which I happen to like. Now, you have to just accept the fact that because I'm a martial artist, I like any story where somebody beats someone else up 
with a stick. <clears throat> I put too many hours in training with that exact thing, a stick, a bow. In the book of Judges, in chapter 3, verse 31, <clears throat> excuse me, drying out. <clears throat> this man, Abishai, rivaled Shamgar, who killed 600 Philistines with a stick. I don't even know if it was pointy. Just with a stick. And I used to read that, and I used to think, I could yet yeah, kill all those people with a stick, until I started training with a stick. And I realized, let me tell you something, a bow or a staff is an incredible weapon in the hands of someone who knows how to use it. I mean, I would not want to be on the other end of any of the strikes that I practice. You could easily see how with one strike you could kill someone. Now, don't worry. I don't usually carry it around with me. Happens to be in my car, though, at the moment. So, just in case anyone gets out of hand. I'm kidding. So, when I read that, I think to myself, man... He didn't just pick up a little stick. This was a weapon. He went out there. He was trained. He was prepared. And he took on the enemy, this man Shamgar, who, who reminds me of Abishai. Abishai uh, was similar in the way that he killed 300. But he killed 600. And when I look at these accounts and I think, you know, a man like Abishai probably knew that account and knew that story. He said, I'm going to be like Shamgar. I'm going I'm to go out there and do my best. Oh, in the church today, we need more people willing to serve God like that. And he became second in command of the army and the commander of the three. Sort of an honorary position. And then we're introduced to a man named Benaniah. We're told he was the greatest of the 30. Look at verses 22 through 25. This is like the hall of fame of the mighty men of David. Benaniah, son of Jehoiada, was a valiant fighter from Kabzeel who performed great exploits. He struck down two of Moab's best men. I'm assuming he fought them at the same time. But anyway, he also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed the lion. And he struck down an Egyptian who was seven and a half feet tall, although the Egyptian had a spear like a weaver's rod in his hand. Benaniah went against him with a club, snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. I need to say it. Huzzah! That's just the kind of story that just inspires me. Such were the exploits of Benaniah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty men, or the mightiest men. He was held in greater honor than any of the thirty, but he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. That's the kind of guy you want in charge of your bodyguard, right? Now, as I look at this account, I don't think this is exaggerated at all. These are the kinds of things that men and women can accomplish when they're filled with the Spirit, empowered by God, and brave enough to step out and be counted for Him. So here's what happens. We're talking about battles, and I'm not suggesting any of us you know, start training so that we can go out there and literally take on the enemy with weapons. I'm not suggesting that. Not at all. It's a metaphor for how we go out there and serve God with all of our hearts. I remember a couple of years ago, Sal will remember this, we were reading that book, right? I think it was the, the Lion in the Pit on a Snowy Day, and it's a whole book about bravery and stepping out and be counted for God, and it talks about how going into that pit would have been dangerous, and if it was snowy, he could have slipped, and, you know, all this talks about the battle. You can talk about that all day. Would you go into a pit and fight a lion on any day, let alone a snowy day? Probably not. 
And as we see, he took on two of Moab's best men on the battlefield. This guy was fierce. And, you know, his name actually means the Lord has built. As the Lord was the author of this man's strength, courage, and bravery. Kill the lion in a pit on a snowy day. Not too many people could say that. And he killed a huge Egyptian who was seven and a half feet tall with his own large spear. Now, this doesn't surprise me because the weapon is described as heavy as a weaver's rod. You know, it's a large weapon because he was a large guy. But as he comes out, you know, large weapons don't move fast. This guy had a club. You can do a lot of damage with a club. He obviously got hold of the weapon and then killed him with it, killed him with the spear. So I'm not surprised that he could do this. But again, what bravery it took to go up against a guy like this, seven and a half feet tall. These are just three examples of the great exploits of this mighty man. Just three. We're just told a little bit. I'm sure there were many more. As famous as the three, he rivaled David who courageously killed a lion and a bear, if you remember, as well as a giant, Goliath of Gath. And so when you think about it, you got a guy here fighting, no doubt he's inspired by a man like David, who, when he was a child, killed a giant. You see, these men, they, they looked at the history of their people, and they saw great and mighty things in the lives of men like Shamgar and David and others, and they said, you know, why not me? Have you ever looked back at the history of the church? And read an account about Tyndale or, I don't know, Martin Luther, any, any of these great reformers, or, or even the early church fathers. Have you ever found yourself, even more recently, D.L. Moody, Charles Finney, others, Billy Sunday, uh, Billy Graham. Have you ever looked at the lives of these men and women, heroes of the faith, and, and said, why not me? That's what these guys did. If David could do it. When he was a kid, I can do this. And I think, honestly, one of the things I'm learning in life, and especially as it relates to this particular style of combat, it really is up here. It's really in your head. You have to look and say, you know, I'm not saying you can do anything if you put your mind to it. Like, you know, you can just go out there and fly. I mean, this isn't the Matrix. But you can truly be used in great and mighty ways by God if you make yourself completely available to him. That's the point. These men were because they made themselves completely available to God. And that is the encouragement I really want to share with you. Make yourself completely available to God. And who knows what God may choose to do in and through your life. I have to give you one more story that I'm sure affected uh, these men and, 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 and encouraged them. And should encourage all of us. There's an account that uh, is in actually First Chronicles 20, verse 5, uh, this man is talked about. But also in Second Samuel 21, uh, verse 19, there's a man named Elhanan who courageously killed Goliath's brother. And I'm assuming he was at least as big, if not bigger, than Goliath. And we're told that this man killed his brother. His brother's name was Lachmi. And this man, Elhanan, was the son of Jair the weaver. So that basically meant he wasn't necessarily a person who got involved in combat. He was a weaver. He was an artisan. He was someone that made things. But we're told that Lahmi, this giant, this brother of Goliath, had a spear shaft similar in size to a weaver's rod, just like the spear that 
that uh, Benaniah, or excuse me, that, uh, yeah, it was Benaniah, took away from the, uh, the Egyptian. So that's a very large spear. Here, this guy had this spear shaft, again, similar to the size of a weaver's rod. But think about it for a minute. Most men couldn't throw a spear like that back. It's a very heavy wooden spear. But apparently, Elhanan was strong enough. Now, how could he have possibly gotten strong enough to throw a weaver's rod? Something as large as a weaver's rod. Because he was a weaver, and that's what he did every day. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Building the muscles, preparing for a battle that he didn't even know he would have to fight. Until one day he was able to say, I can do this. He had been prepared, and I think that's one of the things I want to stress here, just like Elhanan, just like Benaniah, just like Abishai. These men were prepared. Men and women of faith are prepared to go into the battle. They don't just get up one day and say, oh, Lord, give me the strength, give me the power, I've got to fight this Egyptian, he's seven and a half feet tall. No, you have to understand that God is preparing you, those trials, those difficulties, those things you're going through right now that are causing you to heavy lift. The challenges of having to lift something that heavy in your life right now, I'm using a metaphor here, that's preparing you to be able to handle the really challenging times that are coming our way. You know what I found during the last two years of this COVID crisis? That the people who were in training and prepared to serve God prior to this time are still serving God. Those who were prepared for a crisis have made it through the crisis and are not phased by the crisis. Those that were not are running and hiding from the crisis. And why is that? Because they weren't prepared. There'll be another crisis, I promise you. Even after this crisis is gone, what are you doing to prepare yourself? Well, I commend you, you're here this evening studying God's Word. That is the best way you can prepare your heart. But we prepare ourselves for battle in the Lord. The battle is the Lord's, but we prepare ourselves to stand up and be counted for Him Just like Paul said, wearing the armor of God, we need to be in God's word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be exercising our faith. We need to know that we know that we know that we're saved. So that when we step out on the battlefield, we're forced to be reckoned with in the kingdom of God. So when I look at these men, and I just looked at a number of different accounts in the scripture that are somewhat similar, I realize As a weaver, this particular man, Elhanan, was uniquely prepared to defeat his enemy. God is uniquely preparing you for whatever enemy you need to face. The one you don't even know about yet. Just keep doing what it is God has called you to do. Keep working out, if you will. Working out what God has worked in you. Do that work. Allow that work to be done in you. When the day comes, you will be the man, the woman that God has called you to be. Amen? So what happened with this man, he became the commander of David's private bodyguard. And as was the custom in ancient times, you would have a standing army. Sometimes you'd have a reserve army, but you always had a bodyguard. The Romans had the Praetorian Guard. You always had a bodyguard, a group of bodyguards, because if the army decided to turn against you, you needed a force that wasn't loyal to the army. And, and that's why they would separate these individuals. And so they had this group called David's Private Bodyguard, led by this man, Benaniah. They were called the Carathites and the Pelathites. They were foreign mercenaries. So they, they weren't a part of the army. They were separate. And they kept the regular standing army in check. And it was done as an ancient practice by all of the ancient cultures, for the most part, that had large armies. It just makes sense. Now, 
we get now into the 30. And we're not going to talk about all the individual exploits of the 30. Not much is mentioned here. But the names of the 30 mighty men are mentioned here in verses 26 through 47. I'm not going to read through all the names. But as we get to the end of this section and the end of this chapter in verse 47, a couple things I want to mention. There are several, several individuals that are more familiar than the others. For example, in this list, you have Joab, you have Abishai's late brother Asahel. They're listed first. You have Ahithophel. If you remember Ahithophel, David's counselor, his son Iliam is listed in 2 Samuel 23. It's not listed in this list, but he was one of David's mighty men as well. Uh, you have Joab's armor bearer, Naharai, who is listed here in verse 39. You have Bathsheba's late husband. Remember him? Uriah, he's listed last in 2 Samuel, but the list is a little bit more extensive here in 1 Chronicles 11. There are actually 32 individuals listed in 2 Samuel uh, for a total of 37 mighty men, because the final total includes the three, Abishai and Benaniah as well. There are probably only ever 30 mighty men at one time. The idea is there were these 30 mighty men. Their numbers were obviously replaced when one of them died, or one of them got a little too old to fight, or injured. This list, these lists, and again, there are two lists in First Chronicles, also Second Samuel, chapter 23. These lists simply documented those that had served over time. So it's a, a list of all those who were considered at one time of the mighty men. And their names probably, and I say probably because we're not sure, were only recorded after their death. So after they died, they were put on the list. And so you have this list. Uh, one was compiled a little later, and so it's a little longer. But all of these men are recorded in history, and we don't know them. And we, we see their names. We can barely pronounce them, but God knows them. And they knew that they were mighty men. You know, I can remember as a kid, and maybe you guys can remember this. Remember that list that came out every marking period? And you waited to see if you were on it. Remember the honor roll? The honor roll. Now, if you goofed off, you probably weren't going to be on the honor roll. If you did your homework and got good grades, you'd be on the honor roll. And I remember, I mean, as a kid, I don't know if it's like this today. I assume it is. But I remember when you made the honor roll, the whole block knew. My kid made the honor roll. The honor roll. It was like a big deal. You would even be put in the paper. I found a, uh, a folder. Well, actually, my mom gave me the folder. And it was a folder that my dad had kept before he passed uh, of all of the things, our great achievements, you know, <laughs> like his mighty sons, you know. And um, as I went through there, I found newspaper clippings of the times I made the honor roll when I won the social studies fair. It was very touching and really interesting to see that, you know, that was important to my dad. But it's important to our father to remember the things we've done. And this is an honor roll, what we're, what we're reading here, these lists. It's an honor roll of men, in this case men, who, who honored God with their lives. And I will admit there were very few times I made the honor roll because I goofed off a lot, not because I wasn't smart, but because I was a dummy. And I saw that as well in, in, uh, in my report cards. But when I made the honor roll, my, list was, my name was on the list in the paper. And I think when we look at lists like this, we have to think someday when the roll is called up yonder, we're going to find ourselves on that roll of honor to the glory of God for all eternity. Amen? I hope so. I hope that's what you're striving for. Well, 
There are actually 48 individuals listed here in this account, in 1 Chronicles 11, for a total of 53 mighty men. Again, probably only 30 at a time. And uh, the list differs. It includes an additional 18. It omits, omits two. So there's some you know, slight deviation between the two. But uh, there were apparently only 55 individuals in total considered to be David's mighty men. Only 55. And, you know, when I think about uh, one of our nation's highest honors, you know, Congressional Medal of Honor, let's say. That's one of them. There are a number of them. But there aren't so many people who've received that honor. There are a lot of military honors, and there are a lot of there are civilian honors, but there aren't so many people that have received the Congressional Medal of Honor. And when your name is on an honor roll like that, that's something I'm sure you carry with you till your last breath, knowing that you honored your country and your fellow citizens by serving in the way that was acknowledged with a medal. I hope all of you, like Paul tells us, are striving Not to be saved. We know we're saved. If we're in Christ, we're saved. But striving to honor God, to fight the good fight, to run the race, that when we're called up yonder, we'll stand there receiving our rewards in glory to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's that's what I think of when I read these accounts. Okay. Now we continue into chapter 12. There are a couple of lists here. I'll go through them briefly. Now we're told all about the men that came to David while he was living in exile from Saul, king of Israel. So what David is doing is he's listing all of those people that were loyal to him. This is like, a, I want to thank everybody who was with me through the difficult times. And so it's recorded for us. It was put you know, in writing, if you will. It was put down on, on paper. So that forever and ever, people would be able to know who David relied upon, who he trusted in, and who came to his help and to his aid. David didn't forget the people who helped him to become what God had called him to be. So we read in chapter 12 in verses 1 through 7. We'll start there. Actually, um, chapter 12, just, we'll just read verses 1 and 2. We're not going to read the list of names. These were the men who came to David at Ziglag while he was banished from the presence of Saul, son of Kish. They were among the warriors who helped him in battle. They were armed with bows and were able to shoot arrows or to sling stones right-handed or left-handed. That's pretty cool. They were kinsmen of Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. So this is interesting because these were Benjamites who came to David at Ziglag while he was banished from the presence of Saul. They were among those warriors that helped David in battle, and we're told, we're told they were armed with bows and slings and could shoot with either hand. That's pretty awesome. It's not easy, by the way. Again, I train with weapons. I can tell you we have to train on both sides. And, you know, if you're right-hand dominant, when you get to your left hand, you're a spaz. It's just true. And so we have to train even harder on the left side. But that shows you these guys were prepared for battle. They were kinsmen of Saul. King of Israel, who, who, who sided with David against Saul. David wasn't going to forget these guys. And there are 23 individuals listed in verses 3 through 7. And then you have the Gadites who defected to David at his stronghold in the desert in verses 8 through 15. It says, some Gadites defected to David at his stronghold in the desert. They were brave warriors, ready for battle, and able to handle the shield and spear. Their faces were the faces of lions. And they were as swift as gazelles in the mountains. And then in verses 9 through the rest of that section, uh, just through verse 13, you, you have the names of these men. 
Then it goes on to say in verse 14, these Gadites were army commanders. The least was a match for a hundred and the greatest for a thousand. It was they who crossed the Jordan in the first month when it was overflowing all its banks and they put to flight everyone living in the valleys to the east and to the west. So these great mighty men were, were, were being taught about these men and what they accomplished and how they were loyal to David. Brave warriors. Again, they, say, they sided with David against Saul, armed with shield and spear. I love that description, though. Fierce as lions, swift as gazelles. Yeah, that means they were ferocious, but they were also quick. I mean, if you're going to get into combat, that's a great combination. And there were 11 individuals listed here, army commanders with great skill in battle. And I like the fact that we're told that they crossed the Jordan while it was flooded. Very hard to cross the Jordan when it's flooded. But they did so. Kind of like when we think about the American Revolution and how George Washington, you know, crossed the Delaware. You know, they, they, they crossed at a time when you didn't expect anybody to be trying to cross a river that was frozen in the winter or whatever. They, they did it at a time to get the element of surprise. That's what they did, and they chased out all those living in the valleys. Okay, now we get to verses 16 through 18, and here's what we read. Other Benjamites, I remember the Benjamites are from the tribe of Saul, so that would make them traitors to Saul and loyal to David. Other Benjamites and some men from Judah also came to David in his stronghold. David, now this is interesting, David went out to meet them and said to them, If you have come here, if you've come to me in peace to help me, I am ready to have you unite with me. But if you have come to betray me to my enemies, when my hands are free from violence, may the God of our fathers see it and judge you. And then the spirit came upon a Messiah, chief of the 30, and he said, We are yours, O David. We are with you, O son of Jesse. Success, success to you and success to those who help you. For your God will help you. So David received them and made them leaders of his raiding bands. Gave them a great job. They were those guys that, they didn't fight with the regular army. They kind of went in, they were like a Delta Force or a Special Forces. They kind of went in and took care of certain things. Like, uh, well, let, let's call them the SEALs or the Green Berets. They went in and they did the Special Forces that David needed. He could trust them. These men came to David. Warriors that sided again with David against Saul. But David was willing to unite with them, but only after warning them of God's judgment should they betray him. If this was a ruse, if they were up to something, if they were sneaking into the camp so that they could betray David, he told them, God's going to judge you. Because David was the Lord's anointed, and it would be true. But they weren't. They were loyal to David. And so you had the Spirit of the Lord come upon one of, one of these men, Amasai, and they assured David, we're loyal to you. And so he made them leaders. And then finally in this section, you have the Manasseites who defected to David in verses 19 through 21. Uh, some of the men of Manasseh defected to David when he was with the Philistines. I remind you, all of these northern tribes were aligned with Saul. So these men had to step away from following their king to rebel against Saul and support David. That in and of itself put a price on their head. So that made them very brave. While some of the men of Manasseh defected to David when he was with the Philistines to fight against Saul. At one point, David was actually aligned with the Philistines against Saul. He and his men did not help the Philistines because after consultation, their rulers, that is the Philistine rulers, sent him away and they said, it will cost us our heads if he deserts uh, to his master Saul. They, they weren't sure they could trust David. 
And when David went to Ziklag, these were the men of Manasseh who defected to him. And they list their names there. They were leaders of units of thousands uh, in Manasseh. They helped David against raiding bands, for all of them were brave warriors, and they were commanders in his army. And day after day, men came to help David until he had a great army like the army of God. God really provided for David, who at one point was all by himself on the run. And that's because God is faithful. Amen? So these men, they're among those brave warriors that sided with David as well, willing to fight alongside David, even fight alongside the Philistines if it meant taking on Saul. There's seven individuals listed there, leaders of units of a thousand who helped David against the raiding bands. And so there you have this list of men. We haven't read their names, but now you know all about them. And many men came to help David until he had a great army. Okay, so now we get to verse 23. And I will read a little bit of this, just a little bit. These are the numbers of the men armed for battle who came to David at Hebron to turn Saul's kingdom over to him as the Lord had said. I just want to stop there and make that point. The Lord had said that David would be king instead of Saul. David wasn't trying to achieve something that God hadn't said would take place. David was working and fighting in sync or according to the will of God. He wasn't making things happen himself. He was following the will of God. God had said it would happen. These men knew that God had said it would happen. They trusted in God, and they trusted that David would be king. Remember, if they put their alliance with the wrong person, they would suffer his fate. But they were willing to trust that God was with David. And the Lord had promised David that he would become king over all Israel. At this point in the account of what we're reading, David had been king in Hebron. Yeah, okay. But he hadn't become king over all Israel. That took place seven and a half years later. And we're told that these are the men that came to him. There is a total of 340,822 men listed here by their tribe. You can read through this if you wish. Here's a summary of what you'll find as you make it all the way down to, uh, let's say, verse 37. You'll find that there were, I'm not going to give you the numbers, but just say there were men of Judah armed with shield and spear. There were men from Simeon ready for battle. There were men of Levi, including a number of priests, led by Jehoiada and 22 officers led by Zadok. Even the priests were out there coming to David, prepared to fight. There were men of Benjamin, kinsmen of Saul, who remained loyal to him, that is to Saul, until that moment when they made David king. Uh, There were brave warriors from the tribe of Ephraim, famous in their own clans. There were quite a number of men from the half-tribe of Manasseh designated to come and make David king. So all the tribes are coming together, everyone supporting David. This is interesting. There were only 200 men from Issachar that came, but they were the chiefs. So who knows how many other men were with him, but these are the chiefs, 200 chiefs, who it says in verse 32, understood the times and knew what Israel should do. They understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Do you understand, like the men of Issachar, do you understand these times? Have you read your Bible? Do you, do you understand we're living in the last days? Most people do. Here's where a lot of Christians get it wrong. They understand the times, but they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. They're running around, what do we do? But the men of Issachar understood the times and knew what they should do. This is what we're talking about tonight, what you should do. Now, I'm not saying we go out there, get some weapons, and start 
lopping off heads. In the spirit, we go out to be victorious in sharing the gospel with the world, ministering to people. We don't back down because of a virus. We don't back down because somebody says we can't do something. When has that ever stopped us? Look at these men and the mighty men and women of the faith throughout the history of mankind and certainly the history of the church. Again, no one was afraid ever accomplished anything great in the kingdom of God. I'm not saying you got to be reckless or stupid, but you certainly need to be doing what God has called you to do. That should never be in jeopardy. The men of Issachar understood the times and knew what they should do, knew what Israel should do. You have a number of men from Zebulun prepared for battle. It says, with every type of weapon, and loyal to David, every type of weapon. Uh, you have some men from Naphtali armed with a shield and, and, and spear. You have uh, men from Dan ready for battle. You have men of Asher prepared for battle. And men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh armed again with every type of weapon. All of these men, again I mentioned, like about 341,000, came to David to support him as king of all Israel. And then he ruled as king of all Israel for 33 years after having ruled over Judah and Benjamin for seven and a half years. So we're told this is how David became king. He didn't do it alone. God raised up lots of people, lots of men to support him. Now we're told in verses 38 through 40 that all these were fighting men who volunteered. See that? Volunteered. I just want to say I'm always inspired by World War II movies. I think one of the most inspiring aspects of World War II, and war is never, listen, war is never a good thing, but some wars have to be fought. I think we all probably agree <laughs> that one did need to be fought. I can't say that about every war, but I can certainly say that about World War II. But what I'm always amazed by is you'll hear these stories, and some of these you know, veterans are still alive, very few now, but most of the stories you hear are about men who volunteered. Some of them lied about their age so that they could go overseas and fight for their country. Where is that generation? I mean, in our country today, I think if we got attacked, I think the... <laughs> if you went to the college campuses, you would probably not find too many volunteers, and if you did, you probably wouldn't want them to fight. So it concerns me. But when I look at what we call the greatest generation, these men were ready to go out and fight, and women volunteered as well. I mean, we, we saw our country stand up and be counted for greatness in that generation. Now listen, let's hope we never have to fight another war. Unlikely, but let's just hope it never happens. But we are engaged in a battle. We are in a war. We are in a conflict now, a spiritual conflict. And I hope you volunteered for the fight. Don't wait to be drafted. I hope you have volunteered. I, I've always thought that it would probably be a good idea if we, like some countries, like Israel and other nations, made everyone serve in the military or some form of volunteer service at some point in their lives, maybe two to three years. I, always, I thought that would probably be a good idea. But regardless of what I think, here's what I do know. You want a volunteer army. You want a volunteer military force. You really don't want to have to beg people or draft people because you're really making people do something they're not willing or wanting to do when you do that. Volunteerism, that, and we follow that same thing in the church. We don't do anything but ask for people to volunteer, and if they don't want to serve, fine, don't serve. Because you don't want anyone serving who doesn't want to serve. 
So when I read this, these were men that volunteered to serve and were determined to make David king over Israel. Let's read it again. And these were fighting men who volunteered to serve in the ranks. They came to Hebron fully determined to make David king over all Israel. All the rest of the Israelites were also of one mind to make David king. The men spent three days there with David, eating and drinking, for their families had supplied provisions for them. Also their neighbors from as far away as Issachar, Zebulun, and Naphtali came bringing food on donkeys, camels, mules, and oxen. There were plentiful supplies of flour, fig cakes, raisin cakes, wine, oil, cattle, and sheep, for there was joy in Israel. Sounds like a feast to me. The men of Judah had already anointed David king of Judah and Hebron, but now these, king, these tribes came together, and the kingdoms of Judah and Israel, which had been at war since the death of Saul, came together, and all of the tribes of Israel came to David that they might see their champion deliver them from their enemies. They were desperate for David to deliver them from the Philistines. That's why they came in force to David. They didn't get there to just say, oh, hooray, we're so happy, like, you know, like a victory party. They came together prepared for battle because they knew if they made David their king, not just of Judah but of Israel, the very next thing that had to happen was they were marching into battle to chase out and destroy the Philistines, their enemies. They were volunteering for service. And they spent three days feasting with David, having brought provisions to Hebron. So as I look at these men, and I, I, I know it's kind of a huzzah message, but you know, listen, listen. You can be inspired by this account. You can look at this and say, oh my goodness, I want to be this type of man. I want to be this type of woman. I want to be the person that honors God in this way. I want to close our service with this. We'll get to this when we get to Second Chronicles. But here's what the Lord tells us in Second Chronicles chapter 16. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Is your heart fully committed? Because if it is, God will strengthen you. May we be such as these men. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. This inspirational pep talk, if you want to call it that, is just an opportunity for us to be inspired and encouraged not to be afraid, but to step out onto the battlefield knowing that we've already received the victory. They serve David. We serve the son of David, the Messiah, the King of all the earth, heaven and earth, of all glory. Oh, Lord God, inspire us, encourage us. Fill us with your spirit. Make us brave where we are fearful. Give us courage where we have cowardice and help us to be fully used by you as we make our hearts completely available to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.